oh hello um this is Vic Baines and um Beck's already laughing at me because what? I've been trying to introduce this I was trying to introduce it slightly differently for once I, love the I was way trying to be like, you sound like you just got surprised in the loo or something you're like oh hello it's, it's called Beck it's called acting all the celebrities do it and you've ruined it for me absolutely ruined it for me I was trying to generate an air of mystery because what we've done online is we've said oh we're recording a podcast with an, an information security rock star I definitely and, did not say that I said security researcher um, well you meant rock star didn't you yeah 100% so, 100% we know how it is the punters don't know who it is and so I'm just gonna go ah because it's um it's Rick Ferguson Woo-hoo! hello Rick Ferguson hey good evening <laughs> oh Oh, <laughs> you're supposed you to tell me what, where was the sexy ooh? That was what we were looking for. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I just at this point, I think we should just point out we're not all in the same room. Uh, uh, also, also, we're not all drunk, <laughs> but Beck might be. Absolutely not. I've had black currant soda. Thank you very much. Cheap dates. Yep, she's a cheap date. Cheap, cheap. But then. To be fair, so am I. Um, so, Rick, I appreciate that you may be slightly starting to regret having <laughs> come on this podcast. In all honesty, I'm wondering why we didn't record the, the half an hour we spent talking before this, because that was probably... I know, I know, exactly. Um, listeners, if you're wondering what you've missed in terms of cybersecurity nuggets, um, you've missed at least two of us singing the theme tunes to BBC television children's shows of the 1970s and early 80s. Um, Discussing discussing various curse words that we're not allowed to say on air versus ones that we we would absolutely Absolutely say on air. So, yeah, we discussed that quite heavily. And we did try to develop a threshold, didn't we? But we haven't been particularly successful in... um, Keeping ourselves to it, I remember but the kids poo, are listening. Poo okay. <laughs> yes, poo, poo is the, Although I can't guarantee there'll be a lot of poo in this particular podcast. Good but... job. Good job. <laughs> Good well job. done. Well done. <laughs> high five, right. high five um, as my two-year-old says. High five. Is this poo related? Because I'm not a parent. That's not the kind of high five you want from a kid. He's just a cheeky little chappy. He loves to do high fives. He gives himself high fives frequently as well. He's if he's happy with something, high five. Oh. oh, bless him! High five. What's his? Uh, oh no, but I won't ask. I won't ask his name. Yeah, because he's got he's, he's got data protection. That's rights. right. He's got privacy. Oh, we should call him child number three. What's your mother's name? Okay. <laughs> and and when's your birthday again? Let, let, uh, let yeah. me give you a social security number. We've got that, yeah. <laughs> so I well, it's um yes, I've I've spent far too much time this week telling people what passwords not to use. So I'm mildly embarrassed that I've just asked you child number three's name. Uh, live on a podcast which just goes to show it can happen to any of us that's right <laughs> that is absolutely that is how easy the slippery slope of doom is <laughs> so so rick ferguson um you spend a lot of your time thinking about the stuff that's happened in information security you know and you and 
you also spend a certain amount of time thinking about what's going to happen next. And I know you wanted to have a chat with us about, you know, roundups of 2019 and looking ahead to 2020. So I'd, I'd like to hear some of your pithy wit and wisdom on that, if you don't mind. Say that again. <laughs> pithy wit. <laughs> pithy wit and wisdom. All right, then. That's not just a lift either. <laughs> so you, you said, what can we talk about? And I thought they were, given that we're still relatively close to the beginning of the year, it would probably be an apt time to talk about what kind of things we saw happening uh, last year and, and maybe where we see that going um, where we see that going this year. So some of the, the big um, changes, I suppose, in the, in the threat landscape that we saw last year were, one of them really was around ransomware. So ransomware... No! And, but, it, but it was a, a change, though, right? Oh, ransomware, oh. It was something that was targeting individuals at home, like all of your copyrighted junk yeah. and all of your... Um, office document files on your home PC and your photos of all your family and asking you for a relatively low sum. Um, and then really over the course of, of last year, you really saw that threat. Although it hasn't disappeared from consumer land, it's really zeroed in on the possibilities in enterprise environments because yeah. far fewer attacks, but much, much, much bigger uh, ransom demands. Yeah. But it, let's be honest, didn't it disappear? Because what they actually figured out, the attackers figured out, is that most end users don't actually know what a Bitcoin is, much less how to access one. <laughs> no, I think the real reason it disappeared is because they realized that pretty much every uh, end user keeps great backups at home. <laughs> <clears throat> or, or it could be testament to the success of projects like No, no More Ransom that are providing decryption keys, maybe. I don't that's, know. If, yeah, if, if your listeners have never heard of that, that's actually a great little name drop. No More Ransom uh, is a project mm. that was started by Europol. NoMoreRansom.org, uh, and what we've done in that project is collect together all of the decryption tools from every major vendor who wants to take part in the initiative. And it's a it's not a pay to play thing; it's a for for the public good thing. Uh, and there is a huge long list of decryption tools out there. So if you do find that you have been hit by ransomware or know someone that has, it's a great idea to go to NoMoreRansom.org and see if you can find a way to get your files back for free. But you're right. I mean, certainly by the time we got to TravelX. We're looking at you know ransoms of millions being demanded and a, and a very very targeted selection of you know particular targets for that. Yeah, I think when you look at online crime, it, you could ask someone how many how many online crimes are being committed, um, and if you boil it all the way down. Um, with the exception of the child online sexual exploitation stuff, which is not an area where Trend Micro play, uh, although we cooperate in that area, with the exception of that stuff, mm. um, it's there are two. There are basically two crimes being committed, and that's theft or extortion. Um, and to be honest, theft is the more difficult one because what theft involves is that the person who stole that stuff has to find out a way to monetize the stuff they stole. Right. Um, so if they're stealing data, it's, you've got to work out who do you sell that data to? Where are you going to get the money from to pay you back for your efforts? So extortion is by far the easier crime. Yeah. Isn't it interesting, though, that it seemed like it took them a while to figure out that extortion was the easier crime? Because, I mean, the whole time I worked at Digital Shadows, it seemed like all we were trying to do was, you know, search the dark web, search all the hidden places across the deep web, trying to find repositories of information that these cyber criminals were initially trying to sell to other cyber criminals or presumably people that wanted to buy massive troves of, you know, whatever data. 
And then, yeah, it, it really seemed to evolve quite, uh, I mean, it felt suddenly, but I guess over the last year, it really then changed quite dramatically towards extortion. Yeah, certainly on the enterprise. Yeah, you see, sure. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, I mean, for me, though, um, extortion has been around for quite a long time. It just used to have a different MO and wasn't quite as frequent. So previously, you'd have um, groups or individuals exfiltrating data or intellectual property and then saying, you know, getting in touch with the CEO or, or whoever and saying, so we've got this thing, we've got this file, would you like us to pass it on to China or would you like to pay some money? So it was it was the same kind of extortion tactic, but with a different kind of data, if you like, or not the, not the threat of, um, you know, locking everything and destroying everything, but um, the the threat of leakage. Yeah, now we're actually trying, starting to see that crossing back over with the the ransomware attackers. So it started with the ransomware called Maze, uh, but there's at least two others now that have also followed the same MO, which is if you don't pay the ransom that's being asked, then we will start leaking your data in public uh, as a punishment and as an incentive to get you to pay. So it's kind of all crossing back together now. Isn't that? Oh, and that's interesting, isn't it? Because it kind of taps into the whole doxing phenom- phenomenon that we've seen more and more of in the last few years as yeah. well, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, Maze had had a, a website up where um, they would post smaller data sets of proof uh, to kind of hang the sort of Damocles over the heads of their victims and say, right, now you better pay up. It's, it what, what's really interesting about that, though, for me, from a regulatory perspective, is that there's always been this question mark about if you are compromised or breached and it's a ransomware attack, is that a data breach? Is it data lost? Yeah. Do you have to notify? Or if the data hasn't actually left your environment, it's just been encrypted by an attacker, You know, are there any obligations on you? Well, now <laughs> it's pretty clear that the data is leaving your environment as well because they're the threat of yeah. being published. So suddenly ransomware falls very squarely in that need to notify yeah. category. That was some of my most favorite tweets following on from the Travelex staff where people were arguing back and forth over was it a data leak or not, if it was encrypted. Mm-hmm. And someone, you know, is piping in and going, hello, the attackers have the keys that encrypted the data that has been leaked from the organization. So <laughs> technically, yes, data leakage. And they clearly have access to the environment as well. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I, I actually got a bit of a giggle out of that, that, you know, we sort of had people arguing amongst themselves and that and that sort of fully thinking that whole thing through but then equally what I see time and again and that as you both know I'm a little bit I pretend to be a little bit eagle-eyed about is that once all of this stuff gets into the papers you've got about a 50-50 hit rate as to whether it's going to be accurately described as a breach or a hack or an attack anyway so I mean the classic one for me is going back to Cambridge Analytica for weeks that was reported as a hack yeah for yeah. weeks and it clearly wasn't it was clearly a misuse yeah, it was not, i was thinking, it was, I was thinking which of the three words you just mentioned was it and it was none of those three it was not a breach no, exactly. it was a bunch of stupid people um answering too many questions about themselves on a social network and they continue to do it that's the dumbest thing yes. people continue to answer these kind of sorry am i allowed to say i saw a brilliant one is that or, or, what, what am I allowed to call people stupid and dumb, or is that? No, no, no. I think I think it's fine. I think it's fine. I think there are um, 
you know, more enabling ways to do cybercrime prevention, <laughs> certainly. Um, but more empowering. But no, but you're absolutely right. So today I saw one um, where a former police colleague of mine had... wanted to know what kind of unicorn he was. Pretty much, pretty much. It was um, generating a motivational tattoo based oh. on the um, year of your oh, birth. Right. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to guess it was a unicorn combined with a Tasmanian devil. Those seem really popular. <laughs> oh, no. It, no, it, it, was, it was a slogan. It was like, believe in oh, yourself God. and this, that, and the other. And Chinese oh. characters. So not... <laughs> when we're talking... <laughs> but when we're talking about kind of, you know... Hybrid, hybrid MOs here. It was brilliant because it's combining the data harvesting with filling Facebook with spam. And, and if the people behind <laughs> and, and motivational it, if slogans. the people behind it were actually tattoo artists as well, <laughs> that's that's fantastic because that's you know generating new business for their their real world activities as yeah. well. Captive advertising exactly. market. Yeah, exactly. So, you, one of the things that I love, right, is we continue to talk about, so let's say, less than cyber smart or cyber aware users. And one of the things that I, I find interesting is, you know, they're, they're not going to change their habits. I mean, look at all the people out there that have heart related problems that are still stuffing their faces with cheeseburgers. I mean, we just because we know about something and we've learned something does not mean that we're going to change behaviors when we're indulging. Totally I feel completely seen now. I can't believe you just did that to me. <laughs> You're having a cheeseburger right now. Is that what's happening? <laughs> no, he's hung- He's hungry. The man's hungry and we're talking about food. Um, so actually, can I talk about food? Sorry, Rick. Um, I, it's, it's a totally it got nothing to do with cybersecurity. Um, so, well, no, possibly it has because it follows on from your point, <laughs> Beck, about um, people not being healthy. I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll shoehorn it in there somehow. So um, I've got a particular penchant, she said, using continental yeah, language. Well, that was, that was beautiful. That's beautiful, Vic. <laughs> that, thanks, Tar, very much, Chuck. Um, I have a particular penchant for um, not very healthy vegan food. <laughs> and Why I think exist. That, Yes, that's so a great That's a great sausage roll right there. That's what that is. Oh, I am. An, I I can eat three of those. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> I can, I'm not. I'm not, 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 not going to say what I was just about to say. Um, I I went. Um, I'm in Oxford this evening, and Oxford is awash with fantastic vegan um food outlets and most of them are healthy but i picked the one that does what do they call them say <laughs> it makes me laugh because i'm calling them Sat- satan oh, yes. dippers yeah, yeah. <laughs> are they actually are they made from bits of the devil bits of satan I think it's s-e-i-t-a-n isn't it is it, is it a s- it's it, i think it's meant to be satan but I do like the fact that I get to, I walked up to the guy at the counter and I said, could I please have book it a certain one order one order of certain dippers and some cheesy fries. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> you know you can't. But it's I'm vegan sorry. cheese. It's vegan cheese, so it's healthy. Just go back to the conversation that we were having before we started recording. This is all the way back to like cheese, like peas. You'll love these. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, so... So that's, yes. So to your point, Beck, 
there are people like me. Maybe maybe the cybersecurity analogy. Let's get this back oh, in. Let's it's, get it back it's into a the long, pen. It's a long way back, I'm, Vic, but I know you can do it. I'm, I'm like a really, really tired and distracted sheepdog, but I'm getting us back in the pen. And um, it is a little bit like, so I think I've got, you know, lovely, fantastic cyber hygiene and knowledge, but I'm having the full fat option. Yeah. That's it. Um, so I'm not being quite as kind to myself <gasps> as I should be. If you actually really. implement proper cybersecurity, does that mean you're choosing like skinny security? Is it like skinny security versus full fat? No, that's not going to work. What's the analogy here? Uh, no, we well, need like think, diet security I versus think, full fat security. Is that? I think this needs more work. You'd want surely you'd want the full fat security. Yeah, it sounds like you would. Yeah, so that it's not quite there. I'll think about that analogy a bit more. <laughs> But then, but then we're going to die of cyber heart attacks, and that's a different thing entirely. Cyber isn't it? arteries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm bringing it back. I'm bringing it back, Rick, because you know we've we've had our. I think ransomware. You're absolutely right. That's been an important shift. Is there anything else that you want yeah, to share with so the listening public that you think has been quite something striking? else that has gone along with that change in uh, ransomware targets is that the. The, act, the threat actors behind that wave of ransomware are using very different uh, tactics to get into businesses to the previous ransomware distribution tactics, which was relatively familiar email-based um, direct delivery mm. of, well, the initial dropper and then the payload, which was the ransomware, and bang, off you go. So what we've seen a massive increase in um, is threats that live off the land or fileless attacks, um, mm. threats that use your own infrastructure against you um, that will use uh, macro-based malware, uh, that will use uh, tools within your environment like PowerShell. PowerShell-related events have gone absolutely mm. through the roof um, in an attempt to fly under the radar of your security, to colonize your environment, to move laterally throughout the systems, um, to use things, for example, like group policy objects uh, to push out malicious activities across the network and then trigger the encryption uh, across the whole environment all in one go. Um, yeah. So those that whole attack methodology has really shifted from the consumer-facing methodology of the past. Um, like that kind of falls into, I suppose, supply chain attack stuff. So we've seen stuff that uses uh, security tools in the past. Uh, we've seen stuff, not Petia, for example, used uh, the update mechanism for accounting software to deliver the payload you know, kind of throughout the Ukraine. And that's, that's really, you know, it's a digital supply chain attack. Um, and that's that's also something that's increasing in, uh, in uh, not severity, in frequency. That's the word I'm looking for. Kenneth? Right. And that raises, that raises a couple of interesting questions in my mind. And if you don't mind, I'm going to share them with you. And the, and the first one is... I'm still that, waiting for the um, jingle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's coming. It is coming. Um, and, and the first one is, if because we spend a lot of time, don't we, focusing on human vulnerabilities in cyber, and that is absolutely right and proper. And at a very, very basic level, we still need people to not click on emails and email attachments and, and things like that. And, and business email compromise works on the basis that people believe what they're seeing, et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm. right? Um, but... What you've just described is is not so much a human vulnerability as a process vulnerability, isn't it? Which is I think, is, I think if you if you built mm. uh, 
I, I, I really strongly disagree with the, you know, the human is your greatest vulnerability, even though in the past, I'm sure you can find, and I know somebody will now go looking, you can probably find examples of me <laughs> saying that in the past, because I did used to believe that that was the case. We've <laughs> all been there, Rick. It's okay. I really yeah. own it, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, we've all, we've all grown up a bit. I, I think if what it is, is if you design, you can blame your user for clicking the link or opening the file or making the financial transfer or whatever it might be. But if you've designed a system that allows that activity to take place unchecked, then the fault is in the design. You can't rely on every employee to do the right thing all the time because they simply won't. And if that's what you're basing your security on, your security is bound to fail. But in a sense, so this leads into my second kind of musing, which is inevitably we're thinking about the future and we're thinking about greater and greater automation. We're already seeing that. We're already seeing huge benefits of greater automation. But the more our processes within enterprise are automated, the more successful these kinds of like like the PowerShell attacks, the more successful they're going to be in a way because there's no human intervention in that at all. We were actually, at, we, Trend Micro, were talking about um, something that we called business process compromise three or four mm. years ago now, saying that's kind of, you know, business email compromise is taking off, uh, but the next area that's right for exploitation is is business process compromise um, because it kind of follows naturally on. It's we're, we're not there in terms of that prediction coming totally true yet, although we do see it in, in sort of micro um, examples. But it's the whole like salami slicing attack. If you can find out, you know, reverse engineer a process and work out how it works, then you could inject your malicious activity at some stage early on in a chain of events, which will have massively amplified consequences way further down the chain, particularly, you know, as we go into... 5G interconnected everything um, that go really undetected until the worst has happened. Or you could do something like a salami slice, slicing uh, type attack uh, where it's a tiny, tiny uh, changes to um, uh, transactions uh, that go on undetected for a long period of time because they're, you know, mm. rounding errors. Mm, yeah. But these are all right for, for process compromise. Well, wasn't that the original issue? Um, oh my gosh, I've just blanked on the name. The the guy in California that discovered the original rounding error problem. Uh, Cuckoo's Cuckoo's. Um, mm. oh, what's his name? Yes, yes, yeah. Wasn't that the original issue that he discovered? Is that they had they had a rounding up problem? And He's the guy also that said, um, "Treat your password like your toothbrush. Um, <laughs> never share it with anybody else, and don't keep it in your pants." I think is what he said. <laughs> <laughs> also don't let your two-year-old near it because they do not know what they're doing to keep those they, things they in it. In <laughs> and can i just offer a final word of advice on that my contribution is don't allow a small bear from darkest peru to stick it in his ears oh, yes <laughs> that that's a, that's think. escaped me that one but i'm i'm, a, I'm gonna trust you on <laughs> that thing we need to we need to give you a little bit of English cultural education. That's from that's from Paddington the movie. Oh, that sounds like something I should have seen. <laughs> you need to you need to bring that to your kids back. It's a, it's actually compulsory viewing. They're not allowed to stay in the country. Oh, they probably have it. seen it. To be fair, I'm think it's going to be the new oh, rule as of tomorrow. As of tomorrow, is that the new rule? <laughs> Oh God! Yeah, tomorrow's oh. the day, isn't it? No, I'm sorry. Oh, don't I don't get no, me started. No, I don't, don't get me started on that nonsense. No, let's forget it. I 
can't believe you I mentioned know, I'm it. I'm sorry. Back. The minute it left my mouth, I was sorry. I'm sorry. Because we're supposed to, we're supposed to, uh, uh, you know, we've got a very, you know, a very diverse church, I'm sure, of our five listeners. And, um, you know, some of them might have voted oh, to leave. Dependent, we've got to. <laughs> <laughs> let's go back to talking about what there. let's go back to talking about what we know best which is clearly vegan cheesy yeah, fries and the impact to your heart and arteries and Satan, satan's <laughs> dippers that's a slippery slope Vic. <laughs> oh. anyway rick so 2020 it's it's january we've got some time yet what should I put my money on? In terms of security technology or in terms of where threats are going to focus? I suppose they're one and the same, two sides of the same coin. If if you could also tell me um, who to put my money on I for the Grand National say, this year, that would be fun. Come on. Yeah, Vic, what's that all about? But I'm, I'm not actually a vegan. Oh, you just like Satan's I'm not. dippers? I just, like, I just like eating Satan's dippers. Um. Anyway, I think an area, you know an area that's really in in full on growth right now, and it's an area that is um, somewhat functionally divorced from security in a standard enterprise environment. Um, is definitely uh, the whole um, the, where cloud is going. So where cloud uh, has yeah. been, and uh, and where security functions see cloud, it's still very much stuck in the whole infrastructure as a service paradigm. Oh, so. Yeah. You know, if you, if you talk to someone who's security about cloud, they'll probably imagine um, that you're talking about how do we migrate the business to uh, an, an infrastructure as a service platform. But if you talk to the rest of the business now about cloud, particularly in the development environment, they're talking definitely about platform as a service and talking about you know Docker and Jenkins and Kubernetes and all of these fantastic technologies that allow them to be really agile in their in their development and DevOps environments. Uh, and in in the the, the more bleeding edge, if you like, uh, examples, you're talking about um, software as a service, but not what we've traditionally called software as a service, things like uh, SAP or, or uh, Salesforce or those kinds of things, but more uh, about serverless uh, computings, where the only thing that you as a as a developer have to worry about is your code. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and that will run uh, either in a, in a serverless environment or you'll build a container with all the necessary dependencies and, and have that in a, in, a, in a Docker environment or whatever. What's the big problem from a security perspective there is that those parts, the DevOps part of the business and the development part of the business, really very rarely have any report, not even a dotted line, into a CISO function. Yeah. They're very much talking straight to the CIO. So the security involvement in those areas is low to nothing. And then when you look at threat actors like the Magecart group, they're looking for those poorly configured, and it is mostly poorly configured rather than poorly written, uh, cloud deployments where they can simply inject their Magecart code, for example, and go on a massive you know, credit card breach spree like we saw at British Airways uh, and many, many other um, websites uh, last year, You know, tens of thousands of websites potentially compromised by the Magecart uh, group. And a lot of that is down to poor configuration um, and poor yeah. um, interlock between security and development. So well, that's I mean, definitely a big area and I, this year. And I know it's a bit of a cliche, but historically, I think we've always characterized, haven't we, the, the product and the DevOps side um, with 
the real pressure of speed to ship. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, at, at Facebook, things were quite well tied up, actually, between um, product and DevOps and security, you know, as, as you might expect. But um, they even so, from early days, had, you know, motivational posters all over the place. And the original slogan was move fast and break yeah. things. Yeah, absolutely. And then that got, that got <laughs> when break things didn't look so good externally. They just changed that to move fast, but they still had the other one, which was ship happens. Um, and it was very much about get it out, get it out, you know. And then it was over time um, in lots of different companies, they started thinking about, well, maybe security by design and safety by design is something we want to be building into our products. But we still have that hangover, don't we, of the pressure to ship to market whether that's an internal market or an yeah, external and it's that, market. it's that lack of interlock between that development community and the security community and also it's really incumbent on uh, people like my employer the security uh, vendor community to to make tools and processes and collateral and education as well that is aimed at that how do i secure an environment where the only thing that i'm in control of is the code in my in my app you know how, mm. i can't deploy an agent what are you going to help me to do? Yeah. So we, you know, we, you know, that Tremicro recently uh, acquired um, Cloud Conformity. I was just looking for some stats from them because they're effectively independent stats because we, the acquisition is very recent. They're finding Cloud Conformity were finding over two hundred thirty million misconfigurations every day. God. Yeah, but across across, across what across what sort of a state? What 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 state are you talking about? Across their customer so base? Yeah, yeah, they're they're um, the people that they're helping, and they're, the customers they list on the website are people like Virgin Australia, Qantas, um, Dash. I mean, they're, they're they're big companies with big estates. But that doesn't surprise me at all, actually. I mean, and and Vic, this goes back to something I think we may have talked about it maybe the time before last, but it goes back to my recent rant on technical debt. This is where I feel that because the, this agile movement and the move to you know serverless software, you know developed, uh, customer driven, you know all the urgency behind this push, 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 we're we're taking those kinds of decisions and oftentimes moving something into production and putting it to market, where we've not gone back and done all of the necessary work to fully flesh it out, and and we're continuing to absorb and build on that technical debt. And, yeah, and it's things like, you know, open S3 buckets. It's things that you really, under reasonable circumstances, you wouldn't expect to see services being pushed live where you've got a write all uh, on an open on an S3 bucket, you know, an open S3 bucket. It's things like um, secrets and passwords embedded in the code yes. uh, when you push it live. Um, it's not vulnerabilities in the code itself. It really is, by and large, poor configuration. Yeah, exactly. Which which goes back to yeah, my point around technical debt. You know, these are these are simple simple things to fix, but because we're producing things at speed and basically, I mean, who hasn't actually worked on something and seen it work and been like, yes, I did it. Get it out there. Yeah. Put it out there. Complete now. <laughs> Let, I'm gonna change the world. Let's go, man. Let's go to the pub and celebrate. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So from from from, from my money. This year, that's the big growth area in terms of where will attackers be focusing their attention. And actually, in the, in the Project 2020 stuff that we worked on together when in your Europol days, Vic, um, that was one of, that was that was me. One yes, of the I predictions that. That, that was in the document for 2020 is that 
attackers mm. will increasingly focus on the joins between the services. And that's mm. where we're at now. Yes. So can we talk about then how that relates to things like open banking, right? All of the APIs, all of the connectivity, again, all of this drive to get customers what they're asking for, right? They're like, give it to me on my phone, you know, while I'm standing on the platform waiting for the train. I want to be paying bills. I want to be transferring money. I want to be, you know, I don't know, paying for a holiday (laughs) so I don't have to think about this crappy job I'm going to. And the customer demand is really driving that. And again, I think that's where we have to be super careful as we, um, what was the phrase you just used, Rick? The, um, as we start to do those joints yeah because one of the big things about um you're talking about psd2 right the, the, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah 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 and for anybody who's playing acronym bingo that's the payment the revised payment services directive folks <laughs> good job two. good job Vic. that's going back to the poo thing isn't it um <laughs> <laughs> so yeah and one of the things that that good um, job that it <laughs> It mandates is publicly accessible APIs for, for banks and fintech companies yes. as well. Yes. So the attack surface is going to absolutely uh, bloom. Uh, it'll be a much, much wider attack surface because all of those APIs will suddenly be exposed. Yeah. But, um, sorry. <laughs> I'm so super excited about what we're talking about. Um, it actually goes back to, so I was on a panel this afternoon at Signet, and one of the sort of conclusions, I guess, that we drew out of the panel is that one of the biggest problems we still have in the cybersecurity industry, right, is that we're missing, we, we've not evolved yet on our collaboration. So our collaboration is still so far behind that where you look at it and, and have these kind of problems, right? So we're looking at PSD2 and how it's driving us. But because we're not collaborating well across industry, across you know businesses, across the law enforcement still, we're still kicking our own selves in the butt over all of this. Yep, absolutely. And, and actually, in some cases, the, the collaboration, where the collaboration is more mature, um, paradoxically, is... Um, some of the fintech apps, not really the, the bank's own apps, but some of the fintech companies' apps that aim to simplify the banking experience, which will definitely you know, increase in number as a result of PSD2. Um, they will, for example, as well as wanting to connect to your financial services information, they will want to connect to um, third parties like advertisers or um, performance monitoring for, for apps. Um, and so suddenly, you're not only are you... Um, having collaboration between banking entities. But when you've got third-party fintech in the picture, you've then got collaboration between advertisers within their apps and other third-party companies that are suddenly uh, in that ecosystem, which they're not nominally part of, but may be privy to a whole load of data they're not supposed to be. Uh, you know what? That That's it. Yeah. Well, that's back, that's to, Cambridge. It, oh, yeah, it's back to Cambridge Analytica. That You've taken us full circle back to Cambridge Analytica, which is exactly what happened there. And the thing that I loved about that example with Cambridge, <laughs> that's horrible, isn't it? As a cybersecurity person, I'm like, I really love Cambridge Analytica because it was, it was amazing <laughs> the way it all worked. Um, but <laughs> I'm just relieved I wasn't there at oh, the time, God. Beck. Oh, could you imagine? <laughs> that would have been horrible. Um, but yeah, I, I was fascinated by it because I think as a cybersecurity professional looking at it, right, all of us were sort of going, it's the data, you numpties. They've given the data to this guy. This guy sold it to these people and these people have lost it. And nobody's tracked the supplier relationships, you know. So we're all screaming and calling it from the get-go, talking about, you know, again, the Facebook numpties that had happily given all of their data away without really understanding what they were doing. <laughs> so yeah, you've called it, Vic. We, we, we've gone full circle there. 
but also from a, a kind of regulatory perspective for data protection, the more parties you inject into this process, you know, back in the day, it was only us and our banks that got our financial information, you know, and then we're kind of injecting all of these different service providers yeah. into this. So, you know, who's controlling our financial data? Yeah, and then, is it us? Is that our financial institution or is it and everybody? And then when something does go wrong, that obviously makes that whole root cause analysis process of where was the problem? Where was the attack? Uh, how yeah. did it happen? How do but I you, mitigate but it? But you've still only got 72 hours yeah. to <laughs> notify the information commissioner's office or, or someone's got to notify of a breach. Um, so whose responsibility is that? I mean, that's just it, it just blurs all of those distinctions, I think, in a way that, yes, we knew it was coming, um, but it just makes that kind of regulatory compliance a bit more challenging, I think. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and, of course, the other thing, and this is not um, ex- exclusive to, to the financial services industry, but definitely plays a role in the risks when you connect more parties and when you open up APIs, is that at the back end, there's an awful lot of legacy technology still in use. Yes. So all of the, you know, if you if you look at all of the things we've been saying about OT environments, operational technology environments, smart factories and connected factories and, um, you know, connected operational technology environments, because that kind of hardware is the stuff that you buy and you expect it to have a 20-year life. You don't go ahead and replace it. Uh, that, that's one of the big risks in a smart factory environment is that you're connecting a bunch of legacy stuff. Now we're doing the same with code in a financial environment. Um, yes. The risks are going to be just as great, but much more attractive to an attacker because it's very much more easy to monetize nominally. So, Rick, I've got two things that I want to ask you about. No, I've got one thing I want to ask you about. I've got two. Uh, one thing that oh, you see, I can't add. What's <laughs> what three so far? Uh, You've three. got one and one so right. far. Let me let me break this down for myself. I've got one thing I want to ask Rick. I've got another thing which will add up to two things in total, but the other thing I'd like to ask both of you, right? So I'm I'm in I'm in charge of the next two questions. First question, um well, the first thing I need to ask you about Rick, I promised myself I would ask you about manuals. Good. I wonder what they are. Do you are. know what they are? Did you ah, say mammals? It's the it's the word. No, oh. mammals. It's the word that all the kids are using. Mammal. Particularly the younger feminists, um, uh, for panels that are entirely comprised ah, of men at, okay. at events. I'm so too I would, old to know that like, word. Because you're quite famous in the infosec world for not having any of it, and I would like to—I would like you to tell the listeners all about your stance on this. Uh, okay, so I um, do you know what it started with? When I think back to, to how this began, I was on a manal. Uh, now, I, I, all I can think of is manhole when I say that. It's like an abbreviated manhole. <laughs> it does sound—it sounds potentially dirty. Or oh, manhole. No. Or manhole. Do you remember Manimal? Again, no idea what you're talking about. This is... Simon McCorkadale, sometime in the 1980s, and he was, it was a TV show where he could change into any animal he wanted, and so they called him Manimal. I already know why I've never seen that. <laughs> Look it up, kids. Look it up. Oh, I've, I have. I just Sorry. looked it up, and, and I know even more clearly now why I've never seen that. <laughs> <laughs> 
That looks awful. I thought it was really awful. I thought it was great, but then I just I'm easily pleased. It was just go, oh, a tiger. There we go. And then I'm and then I'm pacified. It's like the, the difference between um, Knight Rider and uh, which was the good one, and what was the the rubbish mm. one? Air Fox or something awful. No, Airwolf. Airwolf was brilliant. Airfox Air is perhaps a bit more apt. Airfox. You mean Firefox? Um, that's a web browser. <laughs> no, you fool. No, You asked anyway. me a totally other question than this. I remember it. Go back to Mano, Mano. for the love of a- God. Mano, go back to Mano. <laughs> I was on a, a, a Mano. And I'm trying to find it now. I think I think it was at IP Expo, uh, and it was so Wendy Nather Nather Nather. I hate I hate it when people have surnames that you're not sure. Either okay. either. I've always called her Wendy Nather, but I've never asked her how to pronounce her surname. Wendy, please write go. in and let us know if you happen to hear this again. Yes, we please, apologize. Wendy, do that. We apologize that we don't know. Thanks, Rick. <laughs> um, no, but you've but you've done both. You've said both, so we've so covered she, it. That's the way she I... was moderating and being a panelist on on this panel. But there was a, a journalist at the time who wrote about it. Uh, I think it was for um, Computer World. Um, the four panelists, we were all guys. It was me, James Line, Mikko Hippinen, uh and somebody else. Don't remember. I'm really good at that stuff. Um, and when it was written about, uh, Wendy got completely glossed over and her contributions to the discussions were completely missed out of the article. Oh, my no uh, way. She was mentioned at the beginning in that she was uh, moderating it. It's when she was still at Duo, so it's pre-acquisition. It was mm. 2017, yeah. And so very shortly after that, I, I, I decided that I, I wouldn't want to be in a situation that led to that kind of thing ever happening again. So I pinned a tweet that said, if you want me to be on a panel, um, then you, you've got to make sure that it's a diverse panel, uh, minimum um, in terms of gender representation. Uh, I have had a lot of people come back to me since then and saying, okay, but what about racial diversity? What about neurodiversity? What about diversity in all its diverse forms? Yeah. And I totally get that point. However, it... There are, there are difficulties with that. Usually when you want some kind of gender diversity, it's very simple for the external observer to notice that there is gender diversity. It's usually quite a visible thing, right? And also to notice when there isn't gender diversity. Um, mm. If you start saying that you need neurodiversity, sexual diversity uh, on the stage, then you might be putting people in an uncomfortable position where they have to come forward and say, well, actually... Uh, for example, there is um, sexual diversity on the stage uh, because um, the person at the right-hand side of the panel is gay. They just haven't told anyone about it yet. <laughs> so it becomes, it's you know, I mean, it's really, it becomes a much more difficult thing to to actually place demands on. And I think, to be honest, if you if you can just stand up for one part of diversity, you're doing something, which is always better than doing nothing. Mm. So I pinned that tweet, which was about gender diversity. I put the same thing on my uh, LinkedIn profile as well at the the top of the information on my LinkedIn profile. Um, And it has led to changes, certainly in the panels that I've been involved in. There's also been some weirdness. I remember one guy who asked me to to come and speak at an event, and I won't name any names. um, This time. 
<laughs> this time, yeah. Um, but this this guy asked me to speak at an event, and I said, okay, if it's a panel, please, you know, this is my my reasonable request. And he said, oh yeah, I read that. Um, you probably did that to meet more chicks, right? How's that going? Ooh, and he was oh. totally, totally serious. Oh God. So that's how bad it actually can be. Oh, I'm, well, I'm not surprised. You know what? I made a surprise sound and I'm not even surprised. I, I don't know why I made the surprise sound. <laughs> and the guy the guy wasn't that I'm different so, in can't... age to me, but I'm 50 this year. Um, he And he wasn't that. You are not, yeah, are no, you? It's rubbish. That's um, a bro- that. 50 quid in the that, post, please. <laughs> that's a bro comment. That is a bro comment. So, and yeah, the reason totally. I'm, the reason I'm saying talk, that, right? I, well, absolutely. And the reason I'm saying that is because, so, so being the person that I am, and for those of you that have been fortunate or unfortunate to meet me in person, um, I have had, I've, I've had this sort of unique experience or unique to me anyway, but of being able to sit obviously on the women's side of the table, right? We have the women's side and then, but simultaneously, like I'll, I'll, I'll have guys that don't know where to put me. They're like, Oh, do I put you in the girl bucket or do I put you in my bro bucket? And so a lot, <laughs> a lot of times I get put in the bro bucket. And so, Oh man, I've heard some crazy stuff. I have heard some crazy stuff. And whenever I was much younger in my career as well, I would try to fit in. And so I, I in turn have shared and, and said yep. crazy stuff myself. So I know a little bit about what that pressure feels like to conform. So I definitely have empathy, I think, some empathy anyway, for guys that are potentially doing it because they think it's required of them. They think that they need to have this sort of bro talk or culture or whatever to, to fit in. Um, but yeah, it just, it, it's, yeah, it, it's so surprising when you run in face to face, right smack into it like that, especially that, in your that case. That is a real thing. What you're talking about, that bro thing is a real thing. And actually, that's another thing that I did, well, several, many years ago now. I, I committed myself, you know, my internal voice, I committed myself that if somebody was making misogynistic jokes or racist jokes or whatever, it's really easy and comfortable if you don't want any confrontation to give a polite chuckle mm. and attempt to move the conversation on, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I committed myself never to do that again. And it's led to some really uncomfortable situations, but I've been secretly very happy with them. Yeah, yeah. I think you, you have you to. You have to do it. I've got a total zero tolerance approach to, to people finding humor in discrimination. Yeah, you have to do that. But again, I think, did you not feel that you had to reach sort of maybe a certain age or maturity yourself to be able to Definitely. make that? Yeah. And for yeah. every person, and, it's and different. Confidence, confidence is a self-confidence. Is oh, the yeah. Thing. Hundred percent, yeah, absolutely. I've got to quit saying a hundred percent. I've noticed recently I say it way too much, and I'm just going to apologize right now for every instance. So apparently, I've <laughs> what the kids are saying now, and I, I read an article about things your kids say that you might not understand as parents, because my oldest is turned sixteen this year. Oh my! Um, one of the things that the kids are saying now is Hondo P. So maybe you should start saying that. Oh, uh, that's not going to be a phrase. Hondo that's, P. That's not going to come out of my mouth. <laughs> That's that's hundred percent Hondo I'm, P. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm I'm. I've been I've been listening to the both of you with what I would like to call my Edvard Munch face on. I've actually had my hands up to my <laughs> face as if I'm in the scream. I'm just going, oh my god, what, what? But actually, the more I've been, you know, thinking about this, fitting in with bro culture. That's something that I had to do in my career for a good ten or fifteen years because you were in law enforcement. I, I, you know, my experience. <laughs> yeah, my experience of being in law oh, enforcement yeah. is that you know, if you if 
to some extent, and I and I think it's not a universal experience at all, and it's very much of the time that I was in. Um, you know, you are playing along with the jokes, and you know, you are playing along with someone going, "Oh, just bend over the table, darling," you know, and all of this stuff. Um, because you think, "Oh, well, that's that's how I'll get along. I won't kick yeah. up a stink." Um, but it, it and and I think it. You're absolutely right, Rick. It's about confidence. It definitely comes with age, I would say, or at least it has for me. But equally, I had to go through a process almost of detox, of 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 deprogramming myself, if you like, and relearning what I actually thought about circumstances and and certain things that I witnessed, what I wouldn't stand for, rather than what I thought I was supposed to say. Well, I think in those kind of environments, you run into that, right? So I have a friend of mine um, back in Texas who was part of a firefighting team, a a firefighter. And um, I know for her that she, you know, firefighters have a unique sense of humor. They, you know, tell different jokes and you would tell in a different, and, and part of it has to do with, I think, dealing with the stress of the job, but then you also have to then like you said, almost deprogram yourself to fit in when you're not with, Hey, here's my firefighter crew. And I think that, yeah, when you work in a really male dominated environment from like the IT perspective or cybersecurity perspective, I think, yeah, definitely women can run into situations like that, especially where they don't have that confidence. They've not yet learned that, or they don't feel comfortable exerting that, you know, in those kind of environments. It's tough, man. It's really tough to hold your hand up and go, Oh, that is not cool. And have every single other person in yeah. the room stare at you like you've suddenly sprouted another head and say I'm sorry if that offended you yes um so so Rick I'm interested to know though have you had any real pushback from when you've uh you know made this stipulation okay you've had you know the kind of slightly wacky inappropriate comment pushback no have you had no. someone uh, well right. other people oh, saying why aren't you standing up for the for all the diversities yeah. um and, yeah. and like I said, that's a really difficult thing to try and do when panels are usually four people. Um, you've got to put your stick in the ground somewhere. So that's where I put mine. Mm-hmm. Um, so other than that, no real pushback. And I think actually part of the reason for that is is perversely to do with another lack of gender diversity in that most of the people who are organizing the panels are women. Yes. So they, yes, they isn't totally it weird? Get. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Why is that? Is that because they're all like marketing people and yeah, marketing, marketing is like yeah. women? Yeah. Yeah. Marketing is, is also non-gender diverse, but the other way around. Yeah. So, so yeah, so the organizers have we, never gone, yeah. oh, well, in that case, you can't come. Uh, but I have had many times, and this is actually really positive and really great. Many times I've had people mention to me in their opening uh, gambit of like, will you come and be on our panel? Uh, I know I know that you need oh. women to be on the panel as well. Don't worry, that's taken care of. Oh. So people have definitely noticed and read and acted on, which that's is great. great. Absolutely great. But but you know what, Rick, have you thought about just incorporating one more aspect to it? So asking people, say, you know what, fantastic, is there a person of color that's going to be able to attend? Or have you at least yeah. reached out to a person of color as well? Because I yeah. I could um, obviously I can't relate directly to someone of color, but, but the experiences and conversations I've had lead me to believe that they are going to be looking at panels and they're going to be like, dude, you can tell if I'm not the same color as you, you know? So it's pretty easy yeah, to invite yeah, me sure. up there to be able to sit on the panel with you. And I, I feel so strongly about that. And I feel so strongly about trying to help provide a voice 
for um, for people, you know, that, that aren't white and, and that don't come from the, the same type of background and the same type of, let's face it, advantages that we've had as, as white people with, you know, white faces. But at the same time, it's such a challenge. You know, it's such a challenge because you do, you have to speak up and you have to not be afraid and you have to have that confidence to speak up. Yeah. And I think, you know, part of that problem is that, so my, my, most of my career before being at Tread Micro, that's now a long time ago, but still it's most of my career, <laughs> um, was all backroom, right? I was most of like the beginning of my, the first 12, 13 of my career were all in tech support. The rest of then after that, it was in security architecture design. Uh, so it was all backroom stuff. Uh, and representation of people of color within those environments was, it was still low, but it was pretty good. I never worked in an all-white environment, which was testament to the companies I worked for, which was great. Mm. But what doesn't happen is those same companies don't enable or don't, don't appear to enable people of color to advance into those public-facing roles because there aren't lots to choose from, mm. people of color, even globally. And that's really unfortunate. I think that there are more than we are aware of. And the reason I say that is because I've been purposely trying to dig into and trying to enrich my own Twitter feed, for example, by mm -hmm. finding, you know, as many different um, contacts and groups and, and, you know, the same way that we have distribution lists and things for, for women in cybersecurity, you know, the same thing for, for um, black folks and, and people of color. And yeah, I just, I think that we have to go out there and we have to help as well. We have to sort of pull together, if that makes sense. Yeah. I Can I do my jingle? <laughs> <that time. laughs> Sorry. Rick and I have gotten all philosophical now, so let's let's get back to... <laughs> but I'm going, I'm going to do the jingle, but before I do, I cannot, I cannot leave recording a podcast this week without asking you a question, both a question. I told you I had a question for both of you about Huawei. Uh, Huawei, because it's been Huawei Fest <laughs> week this week, hasn't it? And I don't know if you know, I've I've been on the telly box. I've been on the telly box as a cybersecurity expert, which quite frankly is absolutely <laughs> hilarious, um, <laughs> which is why I look like I'm about to kiss the interviewer when they that just called me. That was a great me, picture. That uh, was a good expert. picture. Cyber, yeah, it's cybersecurity expert on the telly box kissing somebody um but you know there's just been there's been so much going on around that story so very very briefly beck huawei or not huawei <laughs> well uh huawei or the other way is that what you mean <laughs> Yes. Um, uh, I'm, oh, so, oh, such a tricky one. Uh, is this like a quick answer? You need a quick answer. I would, oh, Huawei. Isn't it though? It is really tricky. That's, and apparently when you do TV interviews with people, they don't like it when you say, oh, well, yeah. actually this when, is really complex. It's a bit when of a difficult When you give them issue. the cybersecurity <laughs> answer of it depends. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I, you know, I think it, the, the, the my sort of short answer to that is if you're doing Brexit, you have to do Huawei oh, because right. you need a trade deal. Oh, Good call. I like it. I don't Good think those call. two things are divorced in any way. I don't think they can be divorced because if one of the trade deals you definitely no. want is a trade deal with China, if you're, if you're kissing goodbye to your trade deal with the EU, um, and if you ban Huawei, you're not getting a trade deal with China. And I think that along a But short, then equally... Equally, if you want a trade deal with China, 
and you go with Huawei, then you have to weigh up how much of a risk that's going to be for your trade deal with the US, which is what yeah. all of the geopolitical yeah. stuff was yeah. about this week. And in, and I'm really interested to see, um, you know, Pompeo stepping, I think, stepping back a little bit from putting the pressure on and just saying, well, okay, we're going to work together and we're going to absolutely still going to share intelligence. So all of those threats that they made about not being able to share intelligence and everything seems to have been drawn back a little bit now. What what has bugged me about that whole Huawei conversation is that there seems to be some nominal... Um, security differentiation between if we don't have them at the core, then it's okay. If we only have them at the periphery, um, then even if there are security problems, it's quite all right because they're not at the core of the network. But the whole point Mm. of security is wherever there's a weakness, the attacker will target that weakness and use that as leverage to gain further access and expand throughout the entire environment. Now, you might not have a vulnerability in your in the software at the core of your enterprise network. But if there's a vulnerability at the periphery, you can be pretty sure someone's going to be taking advantage of it. And it's it's quite interesting because, I, you know, in the report that came back from GCHQ last year, they, were, they said we're only able to give limited assurance that we can mitigate the risk because it's specifically the mob, you know, the, the network operators have said that they can mitigate the risks. What we haven't necessarily seen is a lot of detail about how they think they're going to do that. Um, but I do think it's it's quite um, a brave move on the part of the the operators to say, no, don't worry, because we can cover that. Oh, okay. Yeah, but then, of course, you end up in the situation <laughs> where they've got a vested interest in maintaining the, if it, if it is a charade, maintaining the charade that they've got it covered and that nothing bad ever happened. Mm. But will they have, having having given that assurance, will they have any legal liability if well, they can't? That's a great question. Yeah, who knows? That's where you answer, I am not a lawyer. <laughs> oh, you're so happy with yourself oh, now, aren't you? I got a little, well, it was kind of, it was almost like a lawyer joke and I thought, I'll get that in there. So, Didn't um, get my puppy power in there. <laughs> oh, hang on. Puppy power! Yeah, there it is. See. It means that means nothing to anyone who wasn't part of our conversation before we started Unless recording. Unless they watch Scooby and Scrappy do. Unless they watch the Scooby and Scrappy show. Um. So, would you like to hear my jingle? Let's do it. I, I thought that would never happen. It's thirteenth, the thirteenth episode. We might as well hit hit you hit you finally with your jingles. Let's do it. Unlucky for some, um, I've I've spent weeks I doubt writing that this. So. I hope you appreciate it. And it's got a nice little topical reference to our guest, all right? So, Cyber Warrior Princess, Cyber Warrior Princess, Cyber Warrior Princess, with Rick Ferguson on your radio. Yeah, come on. I'm stunned. (laughs) Come on. That was amazing. Technically, I knew we're on a podcast of epic proportions. This isn't the radio. (laughs) It's our pep talk. That doesn't scan. It doesn't scan, Beck. You know nothing about music. It has to scan. With Rick Ferguson on your podcast of epic proportions. (laughs) You see? It's my backing singer. (laughs) It was a bit late coming in. I didn't know the words. That's right. you got to share the words, Beck. 
Well, it's quite a complicated lyric. It's not for everybody. <laughs> oh my god! So I, I oh, think we I, should leave it there, shouldn't we? Yeah, I think we've I think well, we've I reached think we our, peak. our peak. We're not getting any higher than that. That's we, for sure. We hit our peak. I'm going to go drink some wine. <laughs> minutes ago, minutes literally minutes ago, our peak. <laughs> okay. Well, then I would like to say thank you very much, Rick Ferguson, for being our guest of epic proportions it's been a beautiful experience thank you 100 percent. hundo p hundo p awesome thanks rick my pleasure thank you